All right, the recording is on. So this class um, is going to be a little different than usual. Um, kind of a lot of scripture hopping around, um, hopefully to, to get some insight on what I think is kind of a um, kind of a gap in maybe our understanding of the Bible, um, kind of some missing space on the people, John the Baptist and Elijah. And th this is just my perspective. I'm not saying it's um, not saying it's a great one or necessarily that um, I will hold it forever. I may change my mind, and you may disagree. Um, but you know, I grew up in the Southeast Church of Christ setting, and I would hear the phrase, uh, you know, that we're New Testament Christians. And again, I don't think that's necessarily um, a bad thing. I guess what I might point out is, you know, Jesus was not a New Testament Christian, right? He didn't have a New Testament, so he would have been an Old Testament Jew, right? Paul or Peter, you know, they might have they might have been Old Testament Christians, maybe, you know, if we're trying to use that language. And to really understand the Bible, I think you kind of got to get out of this mindset of being a New Testament Christian and look closely at the Bible that Jesus had and try to understand life in the world with the context in the Bible that Jesus had, which would be the, the Hebrew Bible um, or what we call the Old Testament. And what saying, you know, being overly focused on the New Testament, I just think that can lead to thinking the Old Testament's not as good. Or it needed improvement, so we got the New Testament. And that's, that's simply not the case. I don't think Jesus thought in any way that the Old Testament fell short. I think Jesus had extreme respect and excitement about learning from the Old Testament and the people in it. And so we're going to look at a couple of uh, one key character from the Old Testament uh, today. So to lead into that, um, in Luke chapter 1, so Zechariah, who was a righteous priest, if you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about how uh, the Sadducees are the priests. You remember this? So they're different than the Pharisees. Pharisees are leaders and teachers, but they're kind of among the people. Most Pharisees had full-time jobs, and they did their Pharisee-type work of studying and learning the Scripture and teaching the Scripture. They did that on the side. The priests, the Levites, or the Sadducees, that was a full-time gig. So Zechariah is a priest. But it points out he's a righteous priest. That might seem redundant, right? But again, the Sadducees, mostly not good news. Not good people. Mafia of sorts. Um, oppressed the people. And they worked in conjunction with Herod to kind of oppress the people. So Luke has to point out that Zechariah is one of the good guys among the bad guys. Okay, so Zechariah is a righteous priest. Do you remember this story? He goes into the temple to pray. It's his turn to pray. And he is met by an angel. And the angel says, You and your wife, who are they're very old already, 
you're going to have a son. He thinks this is crazy. But the angel, you know, and the angel says, he, you know, you won't be able to speak for a long time or until he's born. When the angel comes to Zechariah, he says about his son to come, that he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Now, that's a, that's a big statement and that's what we're going to explore some today. And he goes on to say that his son will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So, what, is, what does this mean that John goes, is going to live with the spirit and the power of Elijah? What's interesting is, you know, when he's older, I'll make a, let me make a quick point to bridge between that story and when he's older. It says at the end of Luke chapter 1, the very last, I think it's the very last verse of Luke chapter 1, that John grew up in the desert and became strong in spirit. Now do you remember the very first class if you were here, I'll remind you if not, the desert, the wilderness is a key part of the biblical story. You remember Israel left Egypt and on their way to the promised land most of that time is in the wilderness. God leads his people into the desert or into the wilderness to become strong, to learn to grow up because it's hard to survive in the wilderness. It's hot and there's not a lot of water so you need God to keep you alive in those times. You can't rely on your own strength. And it says that John grew up and became strong in spirit in the wilderness. It's a key theme in John. It's a key theme with Jesus. Obviously a key with all of the Israelites. And we'll find out in a few minutes. It's also a key part of Elijah's life. Okay, so when he's older, the leader sinned priests and Levites to ask John who he is. Now John says, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the prophet, but I'm also not Elijah. So is there, you know, this, this is where it gets a little fuzzy. Does John not quite understand, you know, who he is? Zechariah was older. Maybe he didn't get to explain uh, what the angel told him that John grew up in the spirit and power of Elijah. You know, I'm not quite sure, but it, it almost throws into the, this question, does John quite understand who he is if he thinks he's not Elijah? But John does say, John does know, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, again the wilderness theme, in the wilderness make straight the way of the Lord. Okay, so he doesn't think he's Elijah, but he is very clear that he should be in the wilderness you know, preparing the way. Now, we're going to look at wordplay here, where and where. Trying to make it stick, you know, I don't have an acronym or something like that, so where and where. Alright. There are three places that are mentioned where John is, and it's easy to just look past them. Uh, being thousands of years removed and on the other side of the world, and not really care about the places mentioned in the Bible. So, some, like Bethany beyond the Jordan, there's a little bit of debate about this one. 
Um, you know, there's a Bethany here by the Jordan, um, but there's also good reason to think this area called Bethania at the time, Bethany, it could be up there um, because in the passage where this is mentioned, it says they went to nearby Galilee. Okay, so it's not exactly, it's not necessary to know this, um, where exactly it is. But it's John is mentioned to be in Bethany beyond the Jordan, in Anon near Salim, which is kind of midway or so down the Jordan River from the two seas. And then he's in the Judean wilderness uh, by the Jordan River, which is more likely in this area. So these three places. This is where he was. Okay, why does it matter? Why point out these three spots? These three spots are Elijah places. Okay, so in Bethany beyond the Jordan, this is where Elijah announces a drought will come on the land. So he runs, he flees into the wilderness and he hides out here and is fed by the ravens in this area. And John baptizes in this area and testifies to Jesus being the Lamb of God. That's the one, again, that's the one up north most likely. The first one. Okay, Anon near Salim. In 1 Kings 19, we see Elijah calls Elisha. He goes to Elisha who lives here and he calls Elisha to stop what he's doing and leave that life to become his disciple. John is in the same place. He baptizes here and he tells, um, he discusses with the multitudes about um, when Jesus kind of starts his ministry, a lot of people go to Jesus instead of John to get baptized. So that's where this, is, this little discussion happens. Again, that's the one midway down the Jordan. And then in the Judean wilderness by the Jordan River, so on the southeast side of the country, Elijah, this is where Elijah goes up uh, to heaven before he dies in the presence of his disciple. This is also for John the Baptist. John preaches here and Jesus came to be baptized probably or likely in this area. So that would put you again these three places in order. So maybe Jesus was baptized right in here. So why mention those places again? It's almost like the writers are trying to point you to understanding that John is, is coming in the spirit and the power of Elijah. If you really want to, like if you want to kind of circle back to these things, come up after class and I can pull up this slide again for you or whatever if, if you like to mark in your Bible. Okay, Elijah. So Elijah is an awesome person and for me maybe more than anyone in the Bible, he's the guy that I look to and I'm both intimidated by his passion and fire for God and inspired, maybe more than anyone else. And we're going to look at here one day in his life and he does more in one day in his life maybe than I'll do in my entire life. And you can all see this in 1 Kings. So, 
what happens in this one day. He climbs Mount Carmel, which this is um, probably, I can't remember if I put a map on a slide. It's like right in here is it the Carmel area. So the northwest-ish side of the country. Okay, he climbs Mount Carmel. It's about five miles up the mountain one way. Okay, now at the time there's this King Ahab, his horrible wife Jezebel. And it's a horrible time for the people of Israel. There are some of the worst leaders, and it's been a bad string of leaders for a long time. And they've got all these prophets of Baal. And Elijah's pronounced the drought, and Elijah's kind of appears on the scene out of nowhere, and he has all this passion and fire for God to turn the people away from the Baal back to God. To repent is what he wants, to turn around to do a 180. So he preaches to Israel, how long will you waver between two opinions? No one's listening. So he challenges the Baal prophets and says, okay, let's see what your gods can do. So they do all they can to try and get God to send uh, fire on this altar and it doesn't happen. Elijah taunts them. He's like shouting at them. Maybe if you do this, maybe if you do that. They start cutting themselves. And Elijah's like very, he's not timid, right? He's not hiding in the corner, you know, hoping maybe, well, maybe it'll fail and then God will do something. I mean, Elijah is out in their face. Nothing happens. So Elijah builds an altar. Twelve stones to represent the twelve tribes of Israel. He slaughters a bull. Okay, none of that is like easy to do. That, that takes time. That takes energy. That takes effort. Um, my parents are here and my girlfriend are in town. We did a ton of work on the house yesterday. Not near as much as this. And we're pretty tired from that. Okay? So he builds... He builds this altar, slaughters a bull, puts it on the altar, prays passionately that God would send fire down. Now, I skipped a part where he tells the other opponents of his, like, hey, throw some water on there. Like, I know it hasn't rained in years, but throw some water on there. You know, like, let's really, let's really test out and see what God does. They throw some water on the altar. He prays passionately. God, please act here. Do something. He's relying on God. And God does it. I mean, boom, sends fire down. Altar goes up in flames. God acts in front of all the people. You know, nothing really, nothing really happens. People don't really care. Except that Elijah does convince the people that the Baals, these guys are frauds. And he goes back down Mount Carmel, so we're five miles up, now we're five miles back down, and they slaughter the prophets of Baal. Okay, then he climbs up Mount Carmel again. So we're at 15 miles now. He's back at the top of the mountain, and he prays again to God for rain to come down. And there's been a drought for years and years at this point. So, again, God... Uh, Answers. He sees the rain in the distance uh, coming from the Mediterranean Sea. So rain comes. He meets again with King Ahab, this evil king. 
and heads back to, so he goes down Mount Carmel and then they head back to Jezreel and Jezreel's probably 15 miles away from Mount Carmel. So that's all in one day. And I've got him, I, this is rough, I've got him clocked in at nearly 35 miles in a day of moving around. And I mean he ran ahead of a king in his chariot to get to the place. This is a guy who's on fire and passionate and it doesn't say anything in there really about this guy was really smart and he under, you know he had this great theology and he understood the Bible so well he just comes on the scene as a man of passion and fire for God and total trust in what he can do at the end of the whole thing Ahab uh, Ahab's wife Jezebel she gets news about what happened. She wants to kill him. That's her response to the whole thing. She's not convinced. She's that evil. She wants to, she wants to kill him. Um, so it's amazing again because these dots are not as good on the screen here. But again, yeah, so here's the map. Mount Carmel probably up here. Jezreel right here. He flees to Beersheba, which is in the Negev, and then he goes all the way down to Mount Sinai. So again, he just, he just keeps on moving these long, long distances. So let me back up real quick and, and toss this in, an interesting parallel. So Elijah, King Ahab, didn't like him, clearly. But it, if you read the if you read the story in 1 Kings 18 and 19, it seems that Ahab has a little bit of respect for him. But Jezebel, the evil wife, wants to kill him. Now, flash forward to John the Baptist. You remember these stories that Herod at first didn't like him, but it does say in the Bible that Herod came to respect him and enjoy listening to him teach. Now you remember Herod has, he's married his brother's wife, which is against the Torah. And John, the Baptist, is totally outspoken about Herod violating the scripture. Now I would, there are worse things going on in the world at that time. And there are worse things going on in Israel at that time. And yet John is vocal about something like that. You know, this marriage that's not supposed to be. It's not that it violates an obscure scripture. You know, I mean, I think, you know, we know that, you know, you shouldn't be marrying your brother's wife. That's in, that's in the Torah. But the consequences of, of Herod doing that don't impact me very much if you're just a normal person in Israel. But John the Baptist is so devoted to the Scripture that he's outspoken about it. And it says something about being devoted to, to God means being devoted to every line of the text. How well do you know the Bible? How badly do you want people to turn to God and follow His ways? John the Baptist is outspoken about Herod's bad marriage 
So Herod's wife doesn't like that. He gets thrown in prison. And you remember there's the banquet and who is it? Herod's daughter or somebody like that dances before him and she asks her mom, hey, what should I do? And her mom says, let's behead John. And Herod didn't want to do it, but he did it. You got the same kind of parallels going on in the life of Elijah and the life of John the Baptist. Okay, let's keep moving. So, another person who has respect for Elijah, and you can see kind of the overtones here of the two passages, um, that both of these men, Paul the Apostle, clearly zealous for God, passionate, on fire. And zealous in Hebrew means kanah. They both had kanah for God. Elijah says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. And the Israelites have rejected your covenant. And God says to Elijah, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. Some parallels again to Paul who says to the churches in Galatia, I am astonished that you so quickly deserted the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and you are turning to a different gospel. I was extremely zealous for the tradition of my fathers and when God revealed his son to me so that I might preach him, I returned to Damascus. So you can kind of see the overtones here of these two guys being similar and I think at least Paul is trying to help us see a little bit that Paul holds Elijah in high regard. And he's got this same kind of kanah for God. Now, just a question. Yeah. Herod was not Jewish. I think he was Jewish. Oh, he was? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was, he was Jewish. part of the Roman establishment. True. Yes. And the leader in the Jewish part of their empire. Yes. Didn't he convert to Judaism? He wasn't born into it. Is that right? You know, I don't remember that. Is that right? Edomite. Edomite. That's right. That's that's right. So he wouldn't. Yes, so it makes sense. I do remember reading he wasn't Edomite. Yeah, it's a good point. Okay, so we've talked about where John was. Now let's look at what he wore. So John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. There's another crazy story in 2nd Kings chapter 1. The leader at this time is Ahaziah. He falls through the roof or something and he's injured. And he's laid up in bed. So he sends messengers to the god of Ekron, Beelzebub, which obviously you can see the overtones to Beelzebub. Elijah is directed by an angel to kind of step in front of these messengers before they get to the false god. He goes to meet the messengers. He tells them, and the word is from the angel of God, you're going to die laying in bed. So the messengers don't even go to the God. It looks like they just turn around and go back to Ahaziah and say, hey, we met this guy on the road and he, this is what he said. And Ahaziah asks, you know, who, who was it? What was he wearing? He didn't give him his name or his business card. But they replied, he had a garment of hair and a leather belt around his waist. And Ahaziah knows, yeah, that's, that's Elijah the Tishbite. That's the prophet Elijah. And of course it, it ends up 
happening. We'll circle back to this little story in a few minutes. So, he doesn't think he's Elijah, yet he's in the places where Elijah was, and he's wearing the things Elijah wore. I don't, I'll be honest, I don't totally know what to make of this, except that I think, I think the lesson here is maybe John didn't think he was Elijah. He clearly looked up to Elijah and resembled him in what he said, how he acted, what he wore, what he did. The point, though, is even if he didn't think he was Elijah come back, he still totally, passionately pointed to Jesus. And I think that's a lesson for us that we may not quite understand everything going on in our own life and exactly who we are and where we fit into things, yet we can still point with passion to Jesus. So yes. What was the point of the actual the belief that the actual Elijah would come back? People there are some scriptures that point to Elijah coming back precedes the Messiah coming back. Okay. Um, there's a couple of verses I think in Malachi. I can't remember. Honestly, can't remember if we're gonna if they're in the slides ahead. But and well, there there are verses that do, and I didn't. I don't have them in the plan here. Right. It, and it's and it's awesome stuff. But. Elijah, people thought, would precede the Messiah coming. Right. So, but we, we know that the people, that most of the people to whom the Messiah appeared had a misunderstanding of what the appearance of the Messiah would mean. Yep. So they missed it. Yep. And I've never really thought about it, but it would make sense to me that if if that misunderstanding is going on, that there is a significance to to, to their belief about Elijah as well and misunderstanding that. So I mean, I, it, it would seem to me that, that, that it, it would be important for John knowing, if, if John understands that this misunderstanding is going on, mm -hmm. that people have, are, are not seeing it the way that they're supposed to, that he say, I'm not Elijah. Even if he's like Elijah, I'm not Elijah because it's important that you know that it's not actually Elijah coming back to proceed the Messiah. Right. Yes. It's. Um, um, yeah. It's. Um, it is. I, I agree. There's some. There's some misunderstanding going on. Even. Even John has. I think his timeline of the end times is a little off too. He's not necessarily. He's right that Jesus is the Messiah. You know, I should become less. Look at what. Look at him. Go to him, and we'll look at that specifically in a second. But there is a lot of swirling opinions here about what's going on, and it's again, we're in the same, in a different way. We go through the same stuff here today. Yeah. Yep. I think. I, mean, I think it's essential to know the role that Elijah plays in, in Jewish thought. Elijah doesn't die. Elijah's taken off into heaven. So in Jewish life, particularly in the first century, the Jews were very accustomed. Elijah was invited to come to every circumcision. Elijah was invited at every Shabbat service. On yeah, Elijah's place for Elijah. In the center at Passover, you set a place for Elijah. 
And so Elijah becomes, he's not dead, he's not gone. We're just waiting for him to show up. I mean, it's we're, we're, we're all on, on, on pins and needles because he's going to walk in the door any moment. Right. And then, of course, the prophecy about preceding Messiah that he's going to show up arm in arm with Messiah. I mean, he's you know, coming in. And so, you know, to me, there's, there's, there's so many different interwoven levels here with, with Elijah and, and Messiah. Um, I forget now where I was going. Was I'm just trying to figure out what's, what could be the importance of saying you are not actually Elijah. Well, right, because if he's you're still in alive in the, the, if, yeah, if you're in a similar role as Elijah. No, and so that's probably it. John John is, he's, I mean, to me there's some message here that's clarifying. You can come in the spirit of Elijah. You can come like Elijah. You can be um, understood in Elijah-esque yes, yeah, Elijah exactly. ways. But you're not Elijah, who still may walk in the anyway. Yeah, no, right. Yeah, and and, and that, because that's what I hear. That's what I've always heard when I've said when I've read this is that not actually Elijah, kind of doing the same sort of thing that he did back then, but not that guy. Right. Yeah. I. And I'm just not sure exactly. And I'm not sure either. I'm not giving. You, yeah. I wish I could. Well. Yeah. I'm not giving y'all an answer because I don't have the answer. <laughs> but. Yeah, you can at least see the overtones and it doesn't take away the message that's there. Right. But yes, it's it's fascinating stuff. And again, it's kind of unexplored territory, I think, for a lot of us because you're all, are we are we overemphasizing Jesus and missing the people pointing to him because because we're about to get to something that's pretty fascinating about why we shouldn't we should be paying attention to Elijah and to John the Baptist in the transfiguration. Remember, Jesus meets with Moses and Elijah. Jesus says to the disciples with him, Don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised. Now, to get to your understanding, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus says, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but they have done to him everything they wished. The disciples understood he was talking about John the Baptist. So Jesus has some understanding that John is Elijah or very close to him? Again, doesn't really answer yeah. Yeah, the question. He's definitely in the Elijah archetype. Yeah. Now, what did Jesus really think about John? I'm, I wish I could really... Matthew 11, there's some amazing stuff here. We're going to hit the surface of it. Jesus says to the people, What did you out in the wilderness to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. He quotes from Malachi chapter 3. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Jesus goes on, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John. Now that's a huge, huge compliment. But he then says, Whoever is least in the kingdom is greater than John. So he's not saying you're out of the running for the best in the kingdom, you know. We still have a chance. And if you're willing to accept it, John, he is the Elijah who was to come. Now, here's another fascinating thing that gets overlooked. Who did the people think Jesus was? Remember, Jesus asked his disciples this. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Now, that's a fascinating thing because... 
Jesus seems to have some of the spirit and power of Elijah as well. He gets mixed up with Elijah. Again, this man of passion, of kanah, of being zealous for God. Jesus has at least some attributes that he also was an extremely passionate person for who God was. And I think it's an interesting... I'll just toss this in, that Jesus is more passionate about who God is than who He is. He's a Jewish rabbi, he's a teacher, trying to help the people see who God is, not say, hey, I'm the Messiah, as much as saying, look, look at God, I live for God, in the same way that John and Elijah did. Okay, so who did John think Jesus was? He says, look, to the people. It's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit I've, te I've seen and testify this is God's chosen one. So John has total, complete conviction that Jesus is the Messiah. Another question, who did John's disciples think Jesus was? So continuing on in John chapter 1, John is with two of his disciples. He sees Jesus passing by. He tells these two disciples, again, look, that's the Lamb of God. That's Him. The disciples said, peace out, I'm going with that guy. Which, you wonder what that's like for John because rabbis become so close to their disciples, intimately connected. And it had to be a, kind of a sad moment for John to, to leave them, but you know it had to be just, that was the pinnacle of what he wanted. I want you to be disciples of Jesus, not of me. The disciples follow Jesus. Now look close. This is interesting. There's two of them. Andrew, Simon's Peter, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. So it looks like Peter's brother, Andrew, was a disciple of John prior to being a disciple of Jesus. And again, being a disciple of a rabbi is an all-consuming effort. Very few people get into that program. It's a very difficult life. So you can imagine being a disciple of John, someone who's this passionate and on fire, would be a difficult, hard life. And so he kind of makes this natural transition from following John to following Jesus. Okay, I think this is the closing. So, there's this story, you remember, Jesus sends messengers uh, into Samaria. The people in Samaria, they don't care for it, they're not very welcoming, they ignore it, whatever. So the disciples, James and John, ask this question that seems a little ridiculous. Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Whoa, calm down. It's not, you know, we don't have to send an asteroid down necessarily. Now, the question is, you know, why, why this? Why, why not floods, tornadoes, some other natural calamity in Samaria? Again, this is where knowing the Old Testament helps us understand Jesus a little bit better. 2 Kings 1, again, 
Ahaziah, he's in Samaria. He's injured. You know, Elijah sends the word back to Ahaziah that he's going to die in bed. So Ahaziah sends a captain, 50 men to him. Elijah says to them the first time, If I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. It happens. Like fire bolts down from heaven, wipes out the captain and the 50 men. Ahaziah says, let's try this again. Same strategy. Sends 50 men with a captain to him. Elijah says to him, If I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. It happens again. So now we're, you know, the death toll is 102 from Ahaziah's bad leadership. He sends another guy. So he tries, you know, this is like the definition of being foolish, right? Trying the same thing that doesn't work. The third set of people get there and the captain begs for mercy and says, I know what happened. Please don't do it again. And mercy is given. So why, what are the disciples saying to Jesus when they are saying, Let's send, should we send fire down to these Samaritans? Well, they're, they're thinking about Elijah. Do you, how, should we be like Elijah? Again, that's not just kind of out of nowhere aggressiveness. There's context for it. And the context is the Scripture. Okay. Last um, recap, commonalities, and then comments. Elijah, John, Jesus, all totally passionate for God. That's the common thread. Clearly, Paul is super intelligent and knows the Bible well. Clearly, Jesus does. And I think John does too. It's, it's not really clear that Elijah doesn't like, it doesn't seem, quote tons of scriptures, but he was passionate for God. They all pointed to God, and they all had devoted disciples as well. What I would lastly say uh, is in James chapter 5, if this kind of passion uh, is intimidating more than inspiring, um, in James chapter 5, verse 17, this is the brother of Jesus who says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. I mean, we can be this, is, we can be this way. And this is a message to, to me as much as any, as much as y'all, is a challenge to be more like Elijah. To have that fire and passion for God. Um, Okay, I'm going to leave it right there. Any other? We're at the last couple minutes, but I want to hear any thoughts or questions or whatever this makes you think about. Going once, going twice. Sold. All right. Thank you for being here. Have a great week. Uh, if you want to look through a couple of these notes, I can slide to move to other slides real quick if you wanted to write something down. Love you guys. Thanks. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah.